Well, good morning. Good to see all of you today. We are continuing our study in 1 Corinthians and in chapter 3 today, and we'll finish up chapter 3, Lord willing. And um, let's think for just a moment about where we are in our study. We'll read the scripture in just a few minutes, but uh, remember back in chapter 1, Paul begins this subject matter of divisions in the church. There were factions forming. Paul says that these were built around personalities. In other words, the Corinthians put such a high premium upon what they thought was wisdom, what they thought was great rhetoric, the ability to speak well, And Paul self-confesses that he was not a great speaker. And so they had had aligned themselves, some with Paul, because he was the founder of the church, some with Apollos, because he was apparently a great speaker. And and apparently there were others that he doesn't mention. He mentions Cephas, that is Peter. Um, But there were factions there built around personalities. And he begins to address those. And he does so in a biblical manner that sets forth a model for us for how we ought to handle such divisions or difficulties or problems that may come up in the church. He does so in a distinctly Christian and spiritual and biblical manner. Uh, He moves on into chapter 2, and he introduces the idea of wisdom and of the spirit both of those two things were two things that the corinthians thought very highly of themselves about they were people of wisdom and they thought highly of people that they considered to have wisdom the problem was the wisdom they appreciated was what paul calls here the wisdom of the world it was not the wisdom of god and he contrasts those two things very effectively for us in chapter 2. He goes on to talk about the spirit. Uh, They considered themselves spiritual people. They weren't. And he contrasts their condition with the spiritual position, true people of the spirit. And he concludes that chapter by saying, but we, including them, have the mind of Christ, that is, the Spirit of Christ in us. So these are saved people. These are people who have the Spirit of God. They aren't lost, but they aren't living the way they ought to live. And he begins chapter 3, as we looked at last week, by pointing out that when he first arrived in Corinth, that, they, that he could not address them as spiritual people. He had to treat them as babes in Christ because that's what they were. And so there wasn't anything particularly wrong with that. It's what you would expect of a new Christian, of pagans who were being given the gospel for the first time and they don't understand it fully yet. And then those who have been regenerated and born again, but now they're babes in Christ and they don't fully understand things. You can't preach the same thing to them that you do to a mature, spiritually mature audience. The problem, Paul says, is that here we are now five or so years later. 
and you're still babes in Christ. You're still not spiritual people. You are not uh, people of the flesh, which is what they were. They were fleshy. They behaved as mere human beings. But now they were fleshly. And he uses two words there, the words for flesh and the word for fleshy. So they weren't just flesh, flesh and blood, mere humans. They were now fleshly. And he castigates them for being still merely human. Christians should be more than merely human. They have the Spirit of God in them. And they should be uh, the process that we call it as sanctification. We're becoming more and more like Christ every day. They were stagnant. And so Paul is addressing that. Now he comes today in chapter 3, and he's, he's continuing here this idea of divisions, divisions that were built around their ideas of wisdom, their ideas of rhetoric, their ideas of great speech and of being spiritual people when they weren't. And he, he's continuing here with that idea as we pick it up here in chapter 3 and verse 10. So let's read through the scripture and then we'll take a closer look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 10 through 23. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, a wonderful study that we're undergoing in 1 Corinthians and for this passage that we'll look at today in chapter 3. I pray that you would open our understanding, that our hearts would be well prepared to receive your word, and that we might 
uh, not just receive it, but that we might receive it and act upon it. I pray that you would superintend everything that takes place in this class this morning and that we might leave here praising you for the greatness of your being, the greatness of your son, the greatness of your spirit, and the greatness of your word that you have given to us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, who wrote their summary? Who would like to share with us their summary? Long or short? Shorter is better, I think. Christ yeah. is a sure foundation. Christ is a sure foundation. That pretty much sums it up pretty good, I think. It does. Yes. Chuck, you had something. Well, mine's not short. Okay. <laughs> Please excuse me. Uh, Paul reminds the church that he, as a master builder, laid the ideal foundation of Jesus Christ. He goes on to urge them to continue to build on that foundation. And to be careful, though, that uh, what they build will be tried by fire. Because they are the temple of God, and they must not respect men, but rather God, who gives them all things. Okay, very good. Uh, you got all the major points there of the passage. So very good summary. Now, the reason we do that again, as I say each time, is to cause us to spend time actually thinking about the passage, uh, to get it into our minds and therefore to get it into our hearts. And going through that little simple exercise usually doesn't take long to do it. And, uh, and, it, and, and it puts the thought of the passage in your mind and in your heart. So if you if you have time, take time to do that. Anybody else have a summary they'd like to share with us? Yes, Edward. I saw like the two parts. The one was talking about like you know building upon each other, and then the other part was the kind of the I guess the warning. So establish your foundation on Christ, will be solid. And since you are a temple of God, build upon your life in a manner that will allow others to continue in stable Christian growth. Don't boast in wisdom, for the wisdom of this world is following with God, and he will catch the wise in the practice. Okay, very good. You, you captured the, uh, the idea there of, of working to build each other up, of, of building up the, uh, the church. So that's good. Yes. Well, let me share with you what I came up with. It's not short either. Never is. In Corinth, Paul skillfully laid the only possible foundation, Jesus Christ. But it is up to others to build upon it while taking care how they build it, since God's judgment day will reveal whether that work of building the church is of value and the worker is rewarded or suffers loss. Paul makes plain that the Corinthian church is God's temple. His Holy Spirit dwells in them, that his temple is holy, and anyone destroying it will be destroyed by God. He warns the Corinthians not to be self-deceived by worldly wisdom, because it is folly with God who turns it against the wise. There is no basis for boasting in men, for all good things in Christ belong to them, and they belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So several excellent points in this, in this passage that we want to look at this morning as we go through our discussion questions, 
and pick out some of those, not all of the major points, but some of them. Yes. The foundation is what? Constant. Okay. Yes. Uh, the, the foundation of the of the prophets and the apostles. The scripture mentions. Yes, but Jesus Christ is also the foundation. Okay. Uh, let's look at discussion question number one. Oh, and uh, while you're mentioning that, Helen had an interesting point when we were discussing this yesterday. I think it was about the about the cornerstone, and uh, and. Help me if I remember exactly how you put it, Helen. The cornerstone determines the the way in which the structure is built. The, the structure is built around that cornerstone. So it's the foundation, the cornerstone, and that and Jesus is both the foundation. Elsewhere it says he's the cornerstone of the building. And so he's, I think we could say safely that he's everything, isn't it? He is the foundation. He's the cornerstone. He is the one who who influences the 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 the, the building itself. Uh, in a sense, he and his spirit are the building, and the church is the building. His body, the body of Christ. So, Christ is all in all, isn't he? Okay. Well, let's look at discussion question number one. In verses 10 and 11, Paul refers to building upon the foundation which he skillfully laid. What is this foundation? Well, we just talked about it. And what is the building being constructed? Who are the builders who are cautioned to build with care? Read these verses to gain insight into who the builders are. And there are three passages there that occur later in this same book of 1 Corinthians. So who did we say the foundation was? Christ is the foundation, right? And, uh, and Paul tells us that there is no other foundation. You cannot have a church, the universal church or even a particular church. You can't have it unless the foundation is Jesus Christ. If the foundation is anything else, it may call itself a church. It may have government approval and tax credits, but it's not a church. It must have Jesus Christ as the foundation. So he's the foundation. Uh, and what is the building being constructed? The church. And it's, it's the, it, I, I think we can safely say it's the universal church, the body of Christ that's being constructed here. But also within the context of 1 Corinthians, it's that church in Corinth. Uh, it's, uh, so it's particular churches as well that are built up, but it's the, it's the universal church that also is being built up as the body of Christ. Now, here's key to our understanding of this passage, I think. Who are the builders, the ones who are cautioned to build with care? Members of the church. Members of the church. Believers, right? Now, I think there's a tendency to look at this and think that the ones who are building upon the foundation are the leaders of the church, the ministers. And 
that's not what this says. Uh, the ones who are building there are the believers. And I gave you three scriptures there and asked you to look at those and see how that answers the question. 1 Corinthians twelve seven says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We are all equipped with the Spirit in order that we are enabled to be able to serve the common good, that is, the church, the body of Christ. Uh, skip down to 1 Corinthians fourteen twelve. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, remember that was one of their things. They, uh, they were hung up on speaking in tongues, and Paul addresses that later on that we'll get to. But since you so much want to, to, to engage in the manifestation of the Spirit, Paul says do it this way, strive to excel in building up the church. That's the manifestation of the Spirit. Uh, and then in that uh, middle passage there, it's rather long, but he talks about the body has many members and the hand can't say to the foot, I'm better than you, and the foot can't say to the hand, better than you. And so he uses this metaphor of a human body uh, to stand for the church. And the members of the church who are enabled, just like a hand has certain enablements given by God, and so does the foot, and so do, uh, do all the other body parts, so do the members of the church. They have been uh, differently enabled with uh, gifts of the Spirit, but they all work together for the common good. Discussion question number two. I gave you a number of verses to read there, and, and then it says Paul mentions the day, capital D, the day. In verse 13, what do these passages, along with our text in verses 12 through 15, tell us, number one, about the day? What did you learn about the day? What is that? When does that day occur? Judgment day. Judgment day. Yeah, the, the day is... And when does that occur? When Christ returns. That's, so, so this is that, uh, in the Old Testament, it's, it's frequently called that day. It's the day when Christ returns. It's judgment that will take place there. Second uh, Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for that he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Uh, it, it's judgment day. And Paul says here, that day is coming. And that day is coming at the second advent of Christ. And, and he appeals to that day for those who are building upon the foundation that they build with care and they do so in light of that judgment that is coming as to whether they have done good or poorly. How have you built upon that foundation? And secondly, the question asks, how do, what do these verses tell us about reward and loss? You either get paid or you don't, right? <laughs> uh, there, there's, 
historically, there's evidence that that it was that it frequently occurred in the first century that if a worker worked poorly, he just simply wouldn't be paid. He did not get his his pay for that day. If he worked so poorly that it affected the uh, whatever the project was that he had been hired to do. So there was loss involved. So there's reward and there's loss involved. And uh, if you look at the, at the scripture that I gave you there, you find a lot there about reward and loss that comes as a result of, of, uh, of, of appearing at that judgment day. Uh, based upon how you have built upon that foundation. And the third part of the question, what does this tell us about why the one who suffers loss will nevertheless be saved but through fire? What does that mean? The person who suffers loss is, is still, it says, going to be saved, but he's going to be saved as through fire. Yes, Bill? Think of it as a, as a refining fire. Okay. Right. And so, you know, we need to be cleaned up, you know, to finish this, to finish the process of sanctification and get into that area of glorification. Okay. Okay, good. Yes. I'm not saved by works, but our salvation produces works. I didn't understand that. We're not, we're not saved by works, but our salvation produces works. Okay, yes. Uh, the order is important there. We're not saved by works. Uh, no one is saved by working for their salvation. It can't be done. Uh, but the, the order is you are saved, and then God's Spirit enables you to do good works and to want to do good works, uh, to want to build upon the foundation and build up the church. But what about being uh, being saved? That's part of the question there. Why is this person not lost? Because he believed. And that's what you learn if you look up those verses. You see, for example, let's look at Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith and we therefore have peace with Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans eight thirty three. who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So, that person is saved, and this is further evidence that those uh, folks in Corinth were saved people. They just weren't behaving the way they should after having been saved for maybe five years. They were still fleshly. They were still babes in Christ. And, and now, if on that day they have built upon the foundation poorly, there will be judgment. There will be loss. They don't get paid. They don't receive a reward. 
but they themselves will be saved because they were never saved by works to begin with. And and that salvation is sticky. Put it that way, it's sticky salvation. Um, so they're not going to lose salvation, but it will be through fire. It will be through the judgment of God that that, that, that loss occurs, and it will be real loss. So Paul warns them, you need to be building up the church of God and you need to be doing so with care. With care. Discussion question number three. In comparing the Spirit's indwelling activity in Corinth with his indwelling of the temple in the Old Testament, the word you is used three times in verses 16 and 17. It is plural. Uh, it's what we would say, y'all. So it's the Spirit dwells in y'all. What does this tell us about what God's Spirit indwells? How is this indwelling of the Spirit qualified and narrowed down in 1 Corinthians six nineteen? So the fact that he says this is uh, that the Spirit dwells in y'all, from that, who can we say and what can we say that the Spirit dwells in? The body of Christ. The body of Christ. It's y'all. It's, it's corporate. The Spirit dwells within the church, and he enables the church, and he enables the members of the church to build up each other. And he is building and establishing his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, if you looked up 1 Corinthians 6.19, what does that tell you? What did you learn from that? This, this indwelling of the Spirit is further qualified and defined. 1 Corinthians 6.19, yes. Yeah, it applies to the individual too, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? A little bit of a, of a comeuppance there by Paul. Don't you know, he says, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Remember, God dwelled, his spirit dwelled in the, tabernacle and then the temple in the Old Testament. Now that did not diminish the fact that he is um, omnipresent. God is everywhere at all times and all places. But in the Jewish cosmology, the temple was the center of the earth. And it was the center of the earth because that was the intersection between God and his presence and the presence of God's people. It's where he met with his people in the temple. And so there's a very special presence of God in the temple. Now, no temple in that sense anymore being a building, a structure, but the church is the temple of God. And individual Christians are the temple of God's spirit. And he dwells in us, both corporately and individually. The center of the world 
is in the church. The center of the world is in you. The center of the world is in me. It's that intersection between God's presence and our presence before him. So there's, there's an intersection there. Um, because we are indwelt by the Spirit then, we are enabled to build upon the church, to build up the church, and to do so with care. Okay, anybody else have anything to add about our discussion questions? Well, let's look at the outline, and we'll, we'll look through it. But first of all, there are five points. I outdid myself this time. Uh, not three, not even two, but five points. Five points are the foundation, the day, the temple, the wise, and the possession. So let's go through and look at each one of those five points and see what they have to say to us. We've looked at some of them already in our discussion question. First of all, the foundation. Three points. Uh, if you look at verse 1 there, there are three words, or verse 10, there are three words there that talk about the skill that Paul has. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Paul says he's skilled. Now, he's not boasting about his skill as a master builder. He's simply stating the fact that his efforts and his accomplishment in building the foundation in Corinth came by the grace of God. It came from God. There is, there is humility on the part of Paul being expressed here. I had great skill in being able to do this. It wasn't my skill. It was the grace of God given to me. I find it interesting that both in Scripture and in our common use of the word grace, uh, there, there's, a, there's a redundancy there. It tends to be a redundancy in the way we express it. Grace is something that's given. It's a gift. So you don't need to say the grace given, except Scripture says that. And we say that. We talked about the, the, the uh, gift of God's grace. It is a gift. It wouldn't be grace if it wasn't a gift. So there's a redundancy. But we tend to emphasize that because grace is so very much misunderstood that we tend to emphasize it, and the Scripture emphasizes that grace is something that is freely given by God. And so it's not that Paul possessed this innate ability to build, and the word skill there is the word for wisdom. He builds with wisdom. Uh, there's wisdom in, in being able to build things. You know, if I built something physically, it would fall down. Uh, just don't have any wisdom or skill when it comes to building things. Um, but this is a skill, uh, a, a building wisdom, so to speak, and it all comes by the grace of God. So grace here has the idea of enablement. God has enabled Paul to be able to do this, to become a skilled master builder. And then he laid that foundation. And he says, but someone else is building upon us, not me. I moved on to Ephesus. I'm continuing in my missionary journeys. 
and someone else is building upon it now. So along comes Apollos, along come others who are building upon it. Some build good, some build bad. Some, as we'll see in a moment, are, are building contrary to God's will. They're building uh, with an idea for destruction, for making it something different, I think. So someone else is building, and then he gives us this warning here, this imperative. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So there is care necessary here. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And we've talked already about that exclusivity, that there is only one foundation. You can't have another foundation. If you do have another foundation, no matter whether you call it a church or not, it's not a church. It's not, a, it's not the church of God. It's not the church of Jesus Christ. It's something else altogether. Second point is the day. And we talked about this, that that's a reference to the judgment day. It's a reference to the second coming of Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, there's a testing that takes place on that day. And that testing manifests. It makes plain whether the the building upon the foundation was done with things that last, silver, precious stones, or things that don't last, wood, hay, straw. So there are things that, that don't last. And that's the characterization or the metaphor that he uses here for those who build upon the foundation haphazardly. Whose task is it to build up the church? To whom has God assigned that? To, to us, right? And he has enabled us by his spirit to do that. How many of you are old enough to remember Walt Kelly's wonderful comic strip, Pogo? Remember Pogo? What's, what's the most famous quotation from comic strip history that, that was attributed to Pogo? Do you remember what he said? We have met the enemy, and he is us. It's a pun on, on Admiral Perry's statement when he defeated the British Navy. We have met the enemy, and he is ours, he said. Well, Pogo turns around and says, we have met the enemy, and he is us. Well, we have met the builders, and they are us. We are the ones who are building upon the foundation. We must do so with care. We must do so with that which can be characterized as gold, silver, and precious stones, the things that the actual physical temple was built out of in the Old Testament, not wood, hay, stubble, the things that pass away and they get burned up in the fire. And then there will be reward, as we've seen. Uh, if anyone has built upon the foundation and his work survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, even though he himself will be saved, but as through fire. And then we see the temple. It is the, the dwelling and it is destruction. 
We've talked already about God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you corporately. And 1 Corinthians 6 tells us it dwells in us individually. He dwells in us individually. And then he says something that, that gives rise to the thought that there are some in Corinth who have appeared who are attempting to build something other than what God intends to be built in the church. Because he says, if anyone destroys God's temple. So there's, there's a sense in which the building can be haphazard, but there's a sense also in which the building can be heresy, some heterodoxy, not what God, not orthodoxy, uh, not according to scripture, not according to the foundation of the, of the prophets and the apostles. That's destruction. And if anyone destroys God's temple, here's the warning. God will destroy him. That person will be destroyed in the judgment. Uh, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. God will not allow that to stand. There will be destruction. Fourth thing is the wise. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Remember the Corinthians in their state at the time Paul is writing this considered worldly wisdom to be the wisdom. That's the thing they held up and that's the thing they looked to and, and, uh, and thought was superlative, the wisdom of this age. And Paul says, well, if you think you're, you're wise, what you really have to do is become a fool because the world considered what Christians believed to be foolish. You're a fool if you believe that. So become a fool, and then you're wise. And, and this is the theme that we have seen God lay forth here for us in these first three chapters of Corinth repeatedly, the idea of what is wise to this world is folly with God. And he catches the wise in their craftiness. And the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Fifth thing is the possession. There's boasting. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Why are you boasting in being of the Paul party? Why are you boasting of being of the Apollos party, or of the Cephas party? or of the Christ party? Why are you dividing up into these faction, factions and elevating uh, the leaders in the church in order to puff up yourself is the reason they were doing that. Because he says they actually belong to you. They should be puffing you up, which they do if they're building the church with care, uh, like all believers should be doing. But they belong to you. So whether it's, and listen to this string of things he says here, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. Do you see the rhetorical flourish that Paul used there? They were big on rhetoric and, and they thought Paul didn't have it. So Paul throws in a little bit of uh, rhetorical flourish here with the 
with the repetition of the word are, there's a name for that. I can't remember what it is. So it's whether it's Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all those things are yours. Even death is a good thing. Scripture tells us that Christ will give us all things, all good things in Christ. God gives us all good things in Christ. Even death is a good thing within the context of God's sovereignty. All those things are good, the present and the future. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. It's the idea of our being in the hand of Christ and Christ being in the hand of God. We belong. Now, the upshot of all of this, the main point is we need to be busy about building up the church, building up each other, and to do so with care according to the Spirit who dwells in us. Uh, We read Galatians last week, which says we need to keep in step with the Spirit. And if we do that, we keep in step with the Spirit, we will be busy about building up the church. It's not something we can abandon. It's not something we can do in a slipshod manner. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this lesson. I pray that you would help each one of us to see clearly that the Spirit of God dwells in us corporately and individually. And he enables us. It is the grace given us by God that enables us to be busy about building upon that foundation of Jesus Christ and building up the church of God. Help us to do that. Help us to do that skillfully. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.